So we're going to be talking about a guy named Jephthah today in Judges chapter 11. And um, I may refer to him as Jep as we go, just because it's easier to say. So just so you guys hear me say Jep, I'm talking about Jephthah. But um, we're going to start in chapter 11. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses, and then we'll pray and get into it more. So uh, verse 1, it says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, and he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was his f- the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife grew up, they drove Jephthah, or sorry, when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said, you shall not have an inheritance in our father's house. So you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. And after a time, the Amorites made war against Israel. And when the Amorites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader that we may fight against the Amorites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, do you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? And the elders of Gilead um, said to Jephthah, that is why we have returned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Amorites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders, if you bring me home again to fight against the Amorites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Jephthah, the Lord will be our witness between us. If we do do not do as we say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpath. So let's pray real quick. Lord, we just thank you for today and for this morning, God. Um, even just this morning, Lord, is a gift that you've given to us, Lord, that we didn't deserve or earn in any way, but that uh, you just freely gave. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us. Lord, we thank you we can come here this morning and study your word. Um, Lord, I pray uh, that as words come out this morning, Lord, that they'd be yours and not my own, and that uh, you would speak, Lord, and that uh, hearts would be opened and ears would hear, and that you'd transform lives this morning. So, your name I pray, amen. So, we need to look at context and remember where we left off last week. So, um, in verse 10 at the end, we see that Israel has just come back to the Lord. They came back and repented. And they put away all their false gods and um, just served the Lord. And then now, as we come to chapter 11, we see that they're looking for a leader. And uh, the, the scene kind of changes a little bit, and we're introduced to Jephthah. So uh, we see that Jephthah was the 11th of the 12 judges in the book of Judges. And some things we learn about him from the first three verses, uh, it says that he was a mighty warrior. In my head, I kind of picture like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. You guys know what I mean? Just like this crazy dude who's just like a mighty warrior. Uh, we also learn that he was the son of a prostitute. And uh, in that day, this was something that was really looked down upon, um, which basically means that his dad went and paid a lady to have sex with him, and he was the result of it. Um, But I think, as we'll see in this chapter, God totally uses Jephthah and uses him for his glory. I think it's just a beautiful picture that no matter who you are or what you've done, that God can totally just redeem you and use you for his glory. 
where you've came from, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's what God does best. So um, we also see that his brothers didn't want him to have any part in the inheritance. It says, his brothers tell him, you shall not have any inheritance in our father's house, for you're the son of another woman. So his brothers drove him out and he fled up to the mountains to live. And here we come to verse 4 through 11. And it says, after a time the Amorites made war against Israel, and when the Amorites made war against Israel, excuse me, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Amorites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Uh, That is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against us for the Amorites and be our head over all the inhabitants. So basically what's happening, we see that the Amorites are about to come and attack Israel. And so Jephthah's brothers come and ask him if he'll be their leader. Because remember, he's like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's this mighty warrior, this big guy. And so his brothers are like, we need him to come fight for us. We need a leader. And uh, I don't know if you guys put yourself in like Jephthah's shoes, I'd be pretty confused. Like, you guys just kicked me out, and now you want me to be your leader? Um, he's like, I thought you hated me. And they're like, yeah, we did, but now that we need you, we just want you to come. So he's like, okay, I'll come under one condition, that you make me the head leader and the commander. And so they agree, and he goes back to them. Just a second, take a drink. All right, and then we get to verse 12 through 28. And uh, I'm going to read it, so you guys just hang with me. There's a lot of names, a lot of places where they go. Uh, but I'm just going to read it, and then we'll, we'll just summarize it real quick. So verse 12 says, Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Amorites and said, What do you have against me that you have come to, to me to fight against my land? And the king of the Amorites answered the messenger of the Amorites. Sorry, he mess. The king of the Amorites answered the messenger of Jephthah, because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, took away my land, and from the Aaron to the Jabbok and to the Jordan. Now, therefore, restore it peacefully. Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the Amorites, and he said to them, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Amorites. But when they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel then sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom wouldn't listen, and they sent also the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. Then they journeyed through the wilderness, and went around the land of Edom, in the land of Moab, and arrived on the east side of the land of Moab, and camped on the other side of Aaron. But they did not enter the territory of Moab. For the Arnon was the boundary of Moab. Israel then sent messengers to Shahan, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbor, and Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land in our country. But Shehan did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Gihon gathered all his people together and encamped at Jazz and fought with Israel. And the Lord, the God of Israel, said to Shehan and all the people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. So Israel took possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. And they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from Arnon to Jabbok 
and from the wilderness to the Jordan. So then the Lord, the God of Israel, disposed the Amorites from before his people Israel. And are you taking your possession of them? Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, has given you to possess? And all that the Lord, our God, has given before us, we will possess. Now, are you any better off than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever contend against Israel? Or did he even go to war against them? While Israel lived in Heshbon in its villages, and in Or in its villages, and all the cities that were on the banks of the Aaron, 300 years, why did you not deliver them within that time? Therefore, have I not sinned against you? And you do wrong by making war against me? The Lord, the judge, decide this day the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. But the king of the Amorites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to them. So, what just happened? Am I right? Just a bunch of names, a bunch of things. So, I'm just going to summarize that for you guys. So, Jephthah sends a messenger to the Amorites because the Amorites were attacking them, right? And um, he sends a messenger to the Amorites asking them why. And the Amorites tell the messenger to go tell Jephthah that Israel had stolen their land. And so the messenger goes back to Jephthah and tells him that. And then Jephthah sends another messenger, basically tell him, no, we didn't. And so this messenger tells the Amorites, no, we didn't steal your land. And he gives them this long explanation of how he went around the land and on different areas, but he really didn't take it. Uh, But the king of Amorites didn't believe him and decides to declare war upon him. And now we come to what um, you'd say the main thing, the main part of this passage uh, is about and what Jephthah is really known for. And uh, we, hear, we see here that Jephthah makes a vow. And I'm not talking about some movie with Channing Tatum, um, some love story, but he makes a vow with God, essentially. Um, so we come to verse... We come to verse 29, and it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpath of Gilead, and from Mizpath of Gilead he passed on to the Amorites. So here we see something huge, that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Jephthah. And uh, one of my first point is that Jephthah was a man who was appointed by other men. Men had chosen him. But truly, he was appointed by God. Um, We see that he was chosen by his brothers, but appointed by God. We see that the Holy Spirit came upon him to do a specific work. And we see that throughout the whole Bible, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, he empowers them to do the work that God has given them to do. And I think this is so cool because just like Jephthah, each and every one of us, God has given us a specific work to do. And we can't do it without him. We need his empowering of his spirit to do it. A lot of times we know exactly what this work is, right? Some of us, we, we know in our brains what God wants us to do. Um, but a lot of times we don't walk through it. We don't act through it. Because we have a lot of fears and anxieties and different things come up. But just like Jephthah, who is filled with the spirit of God, we too need to be filled with the spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit will give us this courage. He'll give us the ability to walk out what we need to do. So we see that Jephthah was filled with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God empowered him to do um, what God had called him to. And as it goes on, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead 
and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpath of Gilead. And from Mizpath of Gilead, he passed on to the Amorites. Does anyone have a different other version besides the one I'm reading? I'm reading the ESV. Does anyone have like a New King James version? Go ahead and raise your hand. It's okay. Does yours say pass through or what does yours say? Uh, it's verse 29. No worries. Yours says pass through. Does anyone have a different verse on 29 besides pass through? No? Okay. Well, I was reading a different one and it said that he advanced. That, um, that, sorry, that Jephthah advanced to these territories. I think this is really important because the first thing we see Jephthah do after the Spirit comes upon him is that he advances. And this is true in our life too because when we're truly filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we will advance. We'll be moving forward with the Lord. Um, the same, the Holy Spirit of God, who is God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. We'll be moving forward spiritually. And I think this is really important because a lot of times we get it backwards. We see something that um, needs to be done. We're like, I'm going to do this for the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and do this. And uh, we start to move forward physically before we do spiritually. And it always needs to start with our own heart. Maybe the Lord has placed it on your heart. Um, but Luke 6.45 tells us that a good man brings good out of the goodness stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings forth evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Another version says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if you guys ever need to check your heart, see what's going on, just look at your actions. Our actions will always reflect our heart. And um, sometimes that's scary because we do a lot of things that we're not supposed to. But that's when we run to Jesus and just ask him to change our heart because that's what he's best at. So now we're going to read verse 30 through 40. It says, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give me the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of my door of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the Ammonites, shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Aror to the neighbor of Mineth, 20 cities, and as far as Abel Kerman, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mezpath, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances, for she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, for you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble for me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And she said to him, My father, for you have opened your mouth to the Lord, so do to me according what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord was avenged, uh, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies and the Amorites. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me two months that I may go up and down in the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for the virginity on the mountains. And at the end of the two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow, 
that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament, lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gilead, for four days in the year. So here we see that Jephthah makes a vow to the Lord that if he wins the battle, whatever comes out of his house when he gets home, he will sacrifice that thing to the Lord. Um, so we see that Jephthah goes to the battle and he wins. One version even says it was a great slaughter. I like that because it just sounds cool. Um, and then, so Jephthah comes home. And I want you guys to try to picture this. Um, he walks up to his house and I'm sure when he made this vow, he was expecting like a chicken or a dog or a lamb to come out. And he walks up to his house and he sees his daughter come out. His one and only daughter, his only child. And I, I couldn't, imagine this because I don't have any kids, but it would just be awful. It'd be so sad. So he tears his clothes and begins mourning and he tells his daughter of the vow he made. His daughter then for some reason agrees to go on with his vow, but she asks him first if she can go up to the mountain and weep because she was a virgin. And after two months, she came back and it says that he did with her according to what, according to what the vow he had made was. Uh, escalates quickly, right? Just like he comes back from war, and then all of a sudden, all these things happen. So what's going on? We, we have all these questions. Um, was it right for his father to do this? Should she have, she have grieved to go along with him? Was God pleased by him doing this? We have all these weird things. Well, first, there's a few things that we need to understand before we answer those questions. <clears throat> The first one is, though it isn't specifically clear why Jet makes this promise or this vow, we see that he tries to manipulate God. And I think we try to do this a lot as well. I remember back in fourth grade, I used to play football, and uh, we were all like really good football players, but we weren't good as a team. And uh, we, <laughs> we lost every single game that season. And... Um, I remember I was just like one day I was like, God, if you let me win one game this season, like I'll do whatever you want. Um, and we try to manipulate God, whether it's uh, a sport, whether it's a relationship, a boyfriend, girlfriend. Lord, if you just let me date this person, I'll do whatever you want. And we need to be careful with the vows we make because words are important. But I think the first thing we need to understand is that he was trying to manipulate God and that we try to do that as well sometimes. Um, but... With that, we need to understand that it's far better to be on God's side than to try to put God and manipulate him onto our side. For a couple of reasons. One, it won't work. God is God. He's not subject to us. We serve him. So first off, it won't work. Um, but second off, God knows way better than we do. We may see our situation from what's in front of us, but God sees the whole scope of it. No matter what's going on, God is infinite. He knows all things, and we know just barely anything. A lot of times I forget things. I don't even know half the stuff that I think I know. Uh, the second thing we see here is that Jephthah was filled with the Spirit, and that even Spirit-filled people can do foolish things. I think we'd all agree that this is a foolish vow, right? It's okay if you guys do agree. Yeah? Cool. All right. Jep chose to engage his mouth before his brain, which I don't know about you guys, but it's something I do a lot, and it gets me into a lot of trouble. I just speak things before thinking through it first. And um, 
James 1.19 tells us that we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I think it's funny, this old guy always used to say, we have two ears and one mouth, that we should listen twice as much as we speak. But we see that he engages his mouth before his brain. And I think just simply thinking through things sometimes can save us from a lot of stupidity and a lot of the things we go through. Um, The next thing, my third one, is that Jeb's victory was because God's spirit was upon him and not because he had made this vow. We need to understand that, that God's spirit came upon him for him to win this battle. That's the thing he was equipping him to do. But Jephthah, I don't know if it was out of not trust for God or exactly what it was, decided to make this vow and try to help God out and manipulate him. Um, And this is true in our lives too. Victory in our life is only brought about by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We can try to do it on our own. We can try to try harder and do better, but we're always going to fail in our own strength. This power and working of the Holy Spirit is the only thing that's going to be victory in our lives. And the good news in that is that God says, all you have to do is ask and I'll give it to you. Luke eleven thirteen says, if you then who are evil, and I think we'd all agree we're evil, we do evil things sometimes, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Guys, we just need to ask. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord and understand that we can't always do it, but that he can do it through us. The fourth thing we see in verse 35, it says that, for I have opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. I put... um, I cannot take back my vow, or can I? Uh, This actually wasn't true for a couple reasons. The first one we see is in Leviticus 27, 1 through 8. Uh, God, beforehand in Leviticus, in the law, had made a way for a person who even made a stupid vow or a rash vow to go back and to undo it. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When a man consecrates by a vow certain persons to the Lord, according to your valuation, if your valuation is of a male from 20 years old to 60 years old, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If it's a female, then your valuation should be 30 shekels. And if from 5 years old to 20 years old, then your valuation for a male should be 20 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. And if from a mouth, and from sorry, a month old to five years old, then your valuation for a male shall be five shekels of silver, and for a female, your valuation should be three shekels of silver. And if from sixty years old and above it is a male, then your valuation should be fifteen shekels, and for a female, ten shekels. But if he's too poor to pay the valuation, then he shall present himself before the priest, and the priest shall set a value for him according to the ability of him who vowed. The priest shall value him. So here we see that Jephthah, the Lord had made a way for him to come out of this vow, even if he wanted to. Um, we know that his daughter was, wasn't married. And back then people got married pretty young. So she would probably be in the range from the t- five to 20 years old. So her pay would have been about 10 shekels. And just so you guys know, 10 shekels today would be equivalent to about just under $3. 
So when do you make $3? And something I really took from this is that for us, just the lack of knowing God's word can get us into a lot of trouble. Just not even knowing the word of God, we will end up doing things that we wouldn't have done otherwise. If Jephthah would have known Leviticus and gone right to it, he could have been like, okay, I can get out of my vow. I don't have to go on with this. It's no big deal. And how often do we do this too? Um, in the New Testament, God tells us not to worry about anything, but with everything, with prayer and supplication to make our requests known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. How many of us worry about things? Right? How, how much pain and trials would we save if we just went straight to the Lord in prayer before trying to exhaust all other resources before we finally came to the Lord and prayed about it and sought him through it? So that's why we need to be in the word of God. We need to know the word of God. We need to have the word of God in us, living through us, because we'll understand things and we'll know things that we wouldn't otherwise. But the second reason is that commandments overrode override commitments. Um, There's a guy who's old and dead. He's one of my favorite pastors. His name is Charles Spurgeon. He said this. He said, he made a rash vow. And rash vows are much better broken than kept. If a man makes a vow to commit a crime, his vow to do it is sinful. So to carry out the act would be doubly sinful. If a man's vowing to do something made it necessary and right to do it, there would be no purpose in the law. A man could just vow to steal or commit adultery or murder and then just say, I was right by doing these acts because I vowed to do them. This is absurd and would lead and would destroy all morality. So in other words, what he's saying is that just because he vowed it didn't make it right. If that was the case, we could go, I could vow to rob a bank and then go rob a bank and be loaded and say that I wasn't wrong. But we have to go back to God's word and his commandments. Um, And we really don't know, um, commentators and theologians and Bible experts have argued whether he went and sacrificed his daughter, literally, and killed her, or whether he just set her apart at the temple and she became like a modern-day nun. But either way, I mean, his act towards her was sinful. And so we need to understand that he didn't have to do this. As we continue, it says that he carried out the vow. So what does this mean? Like I said, it can mean one of two things. It can mean he either literally sacrificed and killed his daughter, which is tragic and awful and murder, or that he just set her aside to live at the tabernacle for the rest of her life, like a modern-day nun. Either way, it's tragic. And we see that she goes up in the mountains for two months and then mourns her virginity. We're kind of like, if you guys were like me, I was reading this, I was like, okay, this is weird. Like, is she just really sad that she'll never have sex? Or like, what's going on? I don't understand this. And, uh, but as I looked into it more, we had to understand the culture and what was going on at that day. So for a woman, having kids was huge. For a woman or a man, having kids was huge. Because for a man, it meant that their, it meant that their name and their family line would be carried on. And uh, for Israel, it was huge because it carried on all the way down to Jesus, who came out of Israel. Um, but for a woman... It was just as big because it meant that she might have the chance and the opportunity to give birth to Jesus, the Messiah, which, I mean, is awesome. That's one of the coolest things ever. Like, I don't think Mary's like God, but I think it's a cool blessing to be able to do. But for her, she wouldn't be able to do either. 
And as we continue to look at this chapter and read all these things, there's some, some gnarly, crazy stuff going on. And so I think it's right for us to ask the question. When we read the Bible, we should always ask this question. How do we see Jesus in this? And what does this mean for us? So first, how do we see Jesus in this? Well, we understand that Jesus is the greater Jephthah. First, we see that Jephthah was a man who was chosen by a man, but appointed by God. We see that Jesus is God who was rejected by man, but now is exalted above all things. We see that Jephthah was empowered by God and then took matters into his own hands through making this vow. But then we see that Jesus was empowered by God, and rather than taking matters into his own hands, he was obedient even to the point of death to rescue us. We see that Jephthah made a rash and foolish vow, but we also see that Jesus has made a greater and well-planned out vow towards us. And this is how we really need to understand this for us, guys, that man's vows will fail us, but God's vows will never fail us. It started in the beginning. It started in the garden, right? When man sinned and God promised that he would crush the heel of the serpent, that he would come back. And then we see it with Abraham and Isaac. God said, I will provide myself the lamb. This is the vow that God's made to us, a vow of his love, of his commitment to us. We see that this vow is fulfilled on the cross when Jesus, who is perfect, came down and died for each and every one of us. This is the vow we see. We see the vow of God's love. Let me ask you, have you guys ever been in a relationship? Most of us have, right? And were you ever in a relationship where one of the people loved the person a lot more than the other one did? It's weird. It, it sucks, right? It's kind of like, okay, what's going on? Especially if you're that person that loves the other person a lot more. But guys, did you know this is actually how our relationship with God is? God, God loves us way more than we could ever know and imagine. And sometimes the only time we love him or seek him is on Sunday morning. I'm not here to guilt trip you guys, but I'm just here to make you guys think. Guys, God's love toward us is infinite. He loves us even when we fail. He loves you here this morning, regardless of what you did last night or what you did last week. And it's even greater is that he loved, he'll never love you more than he does right now. God's love does not change. This is good news. This is awesome, right? God's commitment to us is unchanging and his vow toward us could never be broken. You might ask, how does this work? I don't understand this. It's because God's love toward us is not based upon what we do or do not do, but it's based upon what Jesus has already completed. This is what we call grace. Our God's unearned, undeserved favor towards us. Jesus said on the cross that it was finished, that he has completed it. And because of this, I'm not saying we can go out and do whatever we want, but when we understand how much God loves us, it'll change our lives and we'll want to serve him. Okay, so I encourage you guys, understand God's love. Understand the vow that he's made towards you guys. It wasn't a foolish vow, but it's one based upon his name and based upon who he is. And the proof of that vow was put out on the cross. John 3.16, we all know it, right? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. He so loved. He did it in this manner. This is how he loved the world. This is how he proved it. This is how he showed it. And that was by dying for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, guys. So I want to encourage you guys today that if you don't know Jesus, believe in him, trust in him. Put your trust in the greatest vow, the one that can never be broken, the one that he's made for us. Guys, and if you do know him this morning, then let's not just go around making vows to the Lord that we're probably going to break or not keep. But rather, let's trust in the vow that he's made for us and let's rest in it and let's work out of it. Guys, we don't work to be right with God. We work because God has made us right with him. So that was way shorter than it was supposed to be. But let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, for this vow that you have made toward us. Lord, this one of your love, the proof of your love. Lord, we thank you that even when we're faithless, that you remain faithful, God, and not that this should cause us to sin, but this should cause us to love you and serve you even more. Lord, uh, as we see Jephthah and the decisions that he made and the way he went about things, God, I pray that we would think through things, um, that we would understand um, what we're doing in our situations, God, but first and foremost, that we would seek you in those situations first before we tried on our own strength. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us and for dying for us. Lord, I just pray if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, that doesn't, has never experienced your grace and your love, Lord, that you would, you would just reveal yourself to them. God, that they would, they would cry out to you and ask for forgiveness. Lord, and for those of us who do, I pray that we wouldn't go about, Lord, trying to do it in our own strength, God, but that we would rest in your strength, knowing that your strength is greater than all things, Lord, and that we would uh, walk right next side of you. Lord, I, I do just ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit as we go out this week, that you would empower us to do all the things you've given to us. Thank you so much. In your name I pray. Amen.